0: School Counselor Association, this is I Hear You Say, a podcast for school counselors and other leaders in education. I'm Jen Walsh, Director of Education and Training here at ASCA. The life of a school counselor can be a stressful one. With high caseloads and increasing demands and responsibilities, it can often feel like you spend your day putting out fires. Not only that, but the nature of the school counselor's role often exposes you to difficult and heartbreaking situations. This can be exhausting and disheartening. Anna Duval, Director of Counseling at Lexington High School, a recognized Ask a National Model program, and Chrissy Roddy, Director of Counseling at Whitehall High School, both in Lexington, South Carolina, have discovered the importance of stress management, self-care, mindfulness, and positive self-talk, not only in their own lives, but also as techniques to help their students manage stress and anxiety. Anna and Chrissy, I hear that you've both experienced compassion fatigue in your role as a school counselor.
1: I think we've all had a story or had a day like this somewhere in our books as school counselors. Uh, I distinctly remember it was almost like a slap in the face to know that I had compassion fatigue. I had one of those days where I had worked with a student with suicidal ideation and had to complete a risk assessment for basically all morning. And by the time I got her on the ambulance, I already had five voicemails waiting on me. I had two other students up front waiting on me. A teacher wanted to consult with me and I hadn't had lunch. So I took care of everything else and ate lunch while talking with one of my students about colleges and hit that point where I was just mentally done. And so I had a frequent flyer come to the office and want to see me. And I knew that I I couldn't help that student because I was just emotionally unavailable. I was drained and I had no more to give. And I just really couldn't do what it it took to be student-centered at that moment. So I asked one of my colleagues to see the student and went back to my office and was upset with myself for not being able to still be everything I needed to be, but I just didn't have any more in me. And that was when I I just knew I, I had compassion fatigue and needed to stop.
2: And and mine happened a little differently because I've been at this profession um, for a long time. I started in middle school and now I'm in high school. I went home one day just frustrated by the expectation that I'm supposed to be an expert in everything and having to go from talking to a student about attendance into the Mad Mamas that we all know and love, and then being asked about pregnancy and adult ed. And everyone at my school looks to me as the expert in all of these areas. And I had just had it that day. I went home and I was done. And I was embarrassed. I was done.
1: But so many of us experience this. It's really important that we're able to take care of ourselves because we are always taking care of everyone else. We're in this profession to be helpers. But I think many times as school counselors, we forget to help ourselves.
0: I think you both bring up a really good point here in that both of you ended up with compassion fatigue, but the road there was a little bit different.
2: Well, Christy and I are each other's sounding board. Uh, we're both directors at similar size high schools in the same school district. So um, when I was sharing my stories with her and she was sharing her stories with me, we realized that this is an issue. And so we started doing some research on um, compassion fatigue, which seemed to be a, uh, a hot button at that moment. And we started doing some research on ways to combat it, ways to realize that's what's going on. So we did um, we did some reading. We started on the ASCA website.
1: And we found um, amazingly that while evidence-based is very objective and we're very subjective in our work, we really were pleased to see that self-care is actually one of the ethical standards that ASCA puts forth for school counselors. So we we feel like it's not just something we should do to be better people, but it it really is something to prevent us from being a liability to our job.
2: Yes. um, Rhonda Williams- had said in one of her articles that was published in the Ask a School Counselor, and I love this. So Rhonda Williams, if you're listening, I love it. It has been said that self-care is not a luxury, but an ethical mandate. And that really helped us put into perspective how important it is to take care of ourselves. So we um, had put together a few techniques that we use and that we champion to all of our other counselors uh, to use daily uh, when you're working with students that have been researched and published. So we just have a suitcase of techniques to use.
1: One thing that has been difficult for me as a person and as a school counselor is saying no. I want to help everybody all the time. And believe it or not, I am not superwoman. So I had to really identify what is important to me and where my priorities are as a school counselor so I know when to say no. That really gives me the opportunity to say yes to the things that I really can do well, and that really decreases my stress, and it really helps me focus my energy in places where I know I'm going to be effective rather than spreading myself too thin. Chocolate always helps me feel better, so I do uh, try to make sure I, I have a little chocolate in my office at all times. And one thing that Anna and I both call each other out on is changing our negative self-talk. We, just in our daily work, will just call ourselves names or not get something right and just say, oh, you're an idiot. But we really have to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and making sure that we're not being negative because then that's going to, it'll ooze out of us onto other people. And when we work with students, we can't project any negativity if we're trying to tell them to be positive.
2: two of my favorites. the first one is just be still. turn off all your electronic devices and take a break from social media And that is exceedingly difficult. Um, I'm a little older so it's I think it's easier for me that the younger counselors uh, our younger generation is hard to get away from that cell phone, uh, that smartphone and when I follow, other counselors who I admire, and I see all the wonderful things that they're doing because they're putting it out on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I feel like I'm not doing enough. And sometimes that gives me anxiety because I know there's so much more I could do. So taking a break from that and just being still and quiet, which leads to my second favorite one, which is the meditation. I talk with students a lot about just being mindful and being present. Especially this works well with test anxiety. Um, Just knowing how to calm your mind, how to sit quietly, how to relax, and how just to take that moment for yourself to calm yourself before you have to go on to your next project. And I do that. I am lucky enough to work in an office that has a door that closes. And I close my door when I need to, and I might take five minutes to recenter myself before I open that door again. And I have wonderful colleagues who understand what a closed door means. They just know that Anna needs a few minutes, and when she comes back out, she's going to be much better. And we respect that of each other when we just need a few moments just to calm down and recenter and then be better, be a better server for your students.
1: And mindfulness really helps for students because it's something they can do and no one else will be aware of what they're doing. So when they're experiencing that moment of anxiety in class, whether it's a panic attack or the test anxiety, or they just feel cagey and and they need to escape, really practicing that mindfulness that we've worked with them on helps them to engage in those techniques. And nobody is, is the wiser around them. They can take care of it all mentally. They can do breathing techniques. They can do guided imagery and it's it's all right there with a toolbox in their head and they can take care of that. And that's really our point is to give them these tools so they can take them. And instead of having the panic attack and running out of class, they know how to work through it so that they can make sure that this is a life skill they take with them after they leave high school.
0: Anna, I think it was you who mentioned this, but when you shut your door to recenter and refocus, what are some strategies you use to do that?
2: Well, other than calling Chrissy <laughs> and spewing on the phone, um, no, I I do uh, some mindfulness techniques of just um, sitting still, closing my eyes, breathing, listening to my body, letting thoughts come and go out of my mind, slowing myself down. Especially now, both Chrissy and I are high school counselors. Getting them graduated, you know, looking at transcripts, verifying transcripts, getting them to the right places, making sure the scholarship information is all correct. That just, you're jumping from one thing to the other all day long. It Sometimes you need to sit quietly, count to 10, listen to yourself breathe, think of the beach, <laughs> just to help yourself Be a better self. Be ready for the next thing that's coming your way.
1: And my approach is a little different. Not that you asked, but I'm sharing my (laughs) approach. um, I sometimes just need to get out of that environment to just move a little. And so I might leave my office and go walk across the hall to the front office and consult or just really try to change gears completely. Whatever that agitator is at that moment, I will physically put it to the side and go put my brain into something else completely different. And I might walk down the hall and talk with a couple of students just in passing. Or I might just take a moment to just walk up and down the hall, get a little energy out so that when I feel my blood pressure rising, I'm doing a little physical self-care to get myself back in check. And being out in the halls also really reminds me to keep myself in check to remember why I'm there. I can get very caught up in the moment and be really angry and frustrated and worn out. But when I go out in those halls and I see the students, it really grounds me and reminds me why I'm there and it's for the students. So that's a a really good um, device I use.
0: I think I'm with you. That's my strategy. Even just getting up and walking 10 feet into the other room can make a world of difference for me.
1: Well, I know for me, I can physically feel when my blood pressure is rising. I uh, I feel that heat in my body kind of rising up to my face. And um, my body, I have really good uh, mindfulness and awareness <laughs> to know physically that I'm being affected. And when I am able to take those breaths, escape for a moment, and I can physically feel myself get to a better grounded point and I'm able to move on. I also just find when I have that quiet in my mind that I'm ready to go back. I think it's really difficult when we get pulled in so many directions, when we take that moment of quiet, like Anna said, to really just regroup and refocus. I'm able to see, okay, I can jump back in now or I can talk to that person or I can go return that email from that angry parent without the reply I was thinking of a minute ago
2: and with a more professional reply now. <laughs> right. So I don't have any Empirical evidence other than how I feel. But I'll tell you this when I don't take a moment, then I know the reaction that's fixing to come is not going to be what I want it to be. When I don't make myself be still or I don't do some breathing, that's when I know that things. What I'm trying to say is when I don't take that moment, then I'm not happy with myself after that and how I react to things.
1: And I think we notice that we are a little snarkier to our colleagues or to, to others, just that little bit of snip in our voice or that impatience. And again, it just, it'll hit me of, Oh, that didn't sound nice when that came out of my mouth. And Mm -hmm. that really keeps me in check to reel myself back in. Um, We do like to laugh a lot. Um, Anna is a friend, both. uh, She's a professional colleague, but she's also a good friend of mine. And sometimes we just have to laugh And I might need to call her and tell her something funny that happened because we need a moment. And there are so many times when I've called her and said something, she'll say, that is just what I needed right now Mm -hmm. because I've had a stressful morning already. And just being able to take a moment and just decompress from all that stress that builds up all day is so, so important. A lot of people don't have the opportunity, but if you have the opportunity to take a mental health day, if you really feel like you're at that point where you're not doing any good in your job, you're not being effective you need to make sure that you step away and take care of yourself because there are lots of great quotes out there about not pouring from an empty cup or making sure that you're taking care of yourself first, putting on your oxygen mask before you put on someone else's. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to be good to anyone else in your school. So take that moment, take that day, do whatever it is that makes you happy, and then come back refreshed and ready to just start over.
2: Yeah, we um we read that the range of school counselors who have high levels of emotional exhaustion and burnout is between 30 and 66%. So I don't want you to feel like you are alone if you get to this point. This is common, maybe not normal, but common. And as I tell the younger counselors, please, you cannot burn out because I want to retire. You have to You have to pace yourself. Lots of new counselors really take the burdens and the bad, dark stories home with them, and it's hard for them to shake them off. It's hard for anybody to shake them off, but you have to find a way. You can't take on everyone's sad stories. You've got to be able to figure out a way to protect yourself so you're in it for the long haul.
1: It's about finding that balance Mm -hmm. between... Who you are as a person, who you are as a professional, and making sure you know how to take care of both.
2: When we were preparing uh, for um, we we did a a presentation on this, and we were preparing for that. Um, a lot of the the research out there was done on nurses, social workers, and um, private counselors, and so I started thinking, hmm, I wonder what a private counselor's caseload is. And although that's not stated right out there, um, it wasn't easy to find. What I did find said, a private counselor usually sees between 15 and 25 clients a week. And I can't even count the number of students that walk in in and out of my office. That would be a daily count for me, as I'm sure it would be for many of the school counselors in the United States. South Carolina has great ratios. We are blessed, and we work in a wonderful school district that supports school counselors. I cannot imagine having a thousand students and having to do all that's expected of us. I worry about those counselors. How can they possibly do all that they're asked to do and be able to come back year after year without a lot of self-care?
0: We'll hear more from Anna and Chrissy in a minute, but first, did you know that ASCA offers a wealth of resources on stress management? If you're an ASCA member, you have access to the ASCA School Counselor magazine that Chrissy mentioned earlier today. Some particular issues that come to mind are the Mindset Matters issue from July and August of 2017 and the CrowdSource issue from September and October of 2016 which includes articles on addressing student anxiety and the importance of mindset. As a member, you also have access to the Professional School Counseling Journal, which includes several research articles on anxiety. Lastly, we offer the Anxiety and Stress Management Specialist Training, which provides a wealth of resources on how best to support students experiencing anxiety. You can find these on our website, www.schoolcounselor.org. So kind of switching gears a little bit, let's talk about students and helping them with self-care. Is there any difference in the mindfulness techniques you use for yourself as an adult versus the
2: mindfulness techniques that you share with students? Personally, for me, there's there's not a difference because these techniques work for everyone. We, uh, Chrissy and I, gave a presentation about this in December, early December of this past year. And the next day, I had a student in my office who is the poster child for anxiety. I showed her our presentation and walked her through some of the techniques that we were encouraging other counselors to do. And she told me that was one of the most helpful things that she had done with a counselor. And it was exactly the same thing that we were telling our colleagues to do. I was glad I was glad that worked for her. I was surprised. I thought she might think it was cheesy that I was taking her through a PowerPoint presentation, (laughs) but she didn't. She really appreciated it. And now that's what I do. Uh, I'm a visual learner. So if I have a student in here who I think is a visual learner, I'll pull that presentation right back out and go back through it with them. Uh, Again, like Chrissy said before, a lot of these techniques you can do and no one knows you're doing them. Students can use these in the classroom all the time, and the students like that because they don't want to be called out.
1: And um, one thing I was just going to piggyback on, Anna, they use a lot of these techniques. As adults, I think we more readily know who our support system is, but a lot of students don't always know how to, to really recognize their support system. So one thing I like to do is to help them think of key figures they have in their day, not just a friend. But also, maybe an adult in the building that they trust and feel comfortable talking to. it may be someone that's in their neighborhood. it may be the family dog, whatever their support system is, we want to help those students remember they have people they that they can go to, they have uh, again, maybe the family dog that they can go to to just get comfort. but they have got a system in place so that when they feel alone or they feel that they're at that moment. They know where they can reach out to ask for help. And that's a really important factor for students in school. When you may have a student who depends a lot on social media for support, but we want to make sure they understand the real life supports that they have as well, because social media can bring its own issues to the table for a student um, dealing with that anxiety. So we want to decrease that stress, not necessarily increase it.
2: Can you talk about the specific techniques that can be used in the classroom? Um, The deep breathing, counting your breaths. The deep breathing seems to work very well with my students. Um, The visualization is a little um, harder because we we need them paying attention to the instruction. Um, And if you're visualizing, that's where your mind needs to be is, is what your brain is creating for you to see. So during the quiet times, maybe independent work or independent study, students can use that. We also um, talk about sometimes even just um, at their desk
1: quietly, they can make a fist and really kind of squeeze hard and then release that tension in their body just so that some of that stress just kind of physically drains out of them. No one sees that, but it's somewhere where they can focus either on a specific part of their body that they're squeezing and adding the tension to release it so that they may not realize that they had their jaw clenched or they had their, um, their neck is kinked in one direction or their shoulders are really cramped up and helping them to just physically relax in a very subtle way in the classroom can help. Um, One other thing I like to tell students to do um, is the kind of the mental work that has to be done. uh, Again, with changing that negative Self-talk is just kind of stopping those thought patterns that just cycle around. And that's something that may just come so naturally for students, they don't even realize it. So they can mentally just become more self-aware because in the classroom is where a lot of that negative self-talk happens. If they can't get the answer right or the teacher calls on them and they didn't know what the response was, uh, or someone says something to them in class, having that technique in their head before they automatically say something negative to themselves about themselves, helping them to remember to just hold up that mental stop sign before they just keep spiraling into that negative pattern.
0: You touched on social media a bit, and I'm wondering about the effect of social media on students' life stressors and then how that impacts the importance of self-care for them.
2: Um, I, I have said for a long time that social media is my job security um, because we deal with it a lot here in in the school. And you're comparing everyone else's onstage person to your back behind the scenes person. That's how I feel when I look at counselors who I admire and see all the wonderful things they're doing and knowing that I'm having a difficult time. Or, you know, just in personal personal relationships as well, our students, I mean, that's what they use. These students don't want to go get their driver's license anymore because they don't have to drive to go see their friends. They're using social media to see their friends. Um, our students are concerned about how many likes they get on a picture. I have two teenagers in my house. I, I see it from a mom's standpoint as well. We have students who come in just devastated because something happened on social media or someone said something on social media and we find out that that person wasn't even real. Um, It's just that that is exploded. But that
1: is increasing that social media is increasing their anxiety and their stress levels because it is of such importance to them. They take this screen as their reality and they take whether or not they have likes or whether or not someone who took an Instagram with a great filter who has a better complexion than them or better hair than them, um, they would rather talk to each other over social media than face-to-face. So that highly increases their anxiety when you ask them to give a presentation in front of a class where they actually have to face a human and speak to them, or if they have to confront someone or if they have to use any of those life skills that we as adults are more apt to use, it's a lot more of a struggle for them because they're not used to having to do things face-to-face. So that definitely increases their stress and their anxiety. And I think developmentally, it's very difficult for them to remember that they're seeing the best version of other people. And they're taking that, at face value that that's what this person is always like. If I look like some of the filters that I put on in real life, I'd be living great, but (laughs) I have wrinkles and um, I have bad hair days and I don't have three foot long eyelashes. So I have to make sure that students understand that what is represented on social media is not necessarily reality. It's not what they're going to see on a day-to-day basis. And it's not how they need to use uh, it's not what they need to use as their main form of communication.
2: And that's so difficult because this is what this is the student's life. Um, you, you go to take away a uh, a cell phone and the student goes into the same kind of withdrawal. I mean, we can talk about social media forever and with a lot of different implications. Um, but for anxiety, the students cannot get away from it. It used to be when you left school, you didn't have to see the bully. You didn't have to think about the person who you don't like. But now when you go home, you just, you cannot get away from it anymore. There's no more breaks for our students. How do
0: you encourage them to practice self-care in this social media world?
1: Well, I I have a couple of things. Um, One thing we as a department decided we're going to do next year is because students are so attached to their phones. We've even had students come into our office and sit across from us and will text while they're trying to talk to us. And we have to tell them, it looks like you're trying to have two conversations. You need to decide which one is more important. So we next year are actually going to put a charging basket right inside of our office door so that when a student comes to see us, they can leave whatever their electronic device is at the door and they can plug it into charge and they can have real FaceTime as opposed to on the phone FaceTime with a human. And we can help them understand that that Eye contact is important. That interaction, that human interaction is important. And being able to communicate with someone is a life skill. What we also like to do with students is um, help them find apps sometimes that are helpful. There are a lot of good yoga apps, breathing apps, meditation apps, guided imagery. There are a lot of free apps that are out there that we'd encourage students to download and to take care of themselves. It's very easy for me as a counselor to say, well, just don't reply to that person on social media. They feel compelled to reply. So we can't just tell them to put the phone away because that's not really in their vocabulary. So we have to find ways to help them find the more positive outlets that are available to them through social media rather than just taking it away completely.
2: And also I found that working uh, with parents on this issue is a must because like Chrissy said, they're not going to put the phone away. And I have parents who ask me for advice on, you know, I need to discipline my child, but if I take their phone away, it's almost like they're going through withdrawal, and they are. It's it's a tough, it's, gosh, I'm glad I'm not a teenager these days. It's just a tough place to be. And we're still working with our students to try to help their development into I am more than just what people see online, but it's a struggle. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think that that emphasizes the important role that school counselors have in fostering those social emotional skills, as well as teaching resiliency to students, like how to manage stress and anxiety by identifying uh, those stressors and practicing self-care and other stress management techniques to cope with everything going on around them. But yeah, that's such a big responsibility and can be stressful and it's important for us to take care of ourselves as well. So I wanted to thank you, Anna and Chrissy, for joining us today. Your insight into the importance of self-care and stress management for ourselves as well as our students was invaluable. And to wrap up today with what gives me hope... The fall is conference time for many of our state school counselor associations. It's so awesome to visit the different states to see what they're doing to support school counselors, as well as meet so many of you across the country in your own neck of the woods. So this week, it is you that gives me hope. Thanks for joining us today.